Elora Dallin must survive. She must fulfill her destiny and bring about the downfall of Queen Batmorda, whose powers are growing like an evil plague. Unless she is stopped, Batmorda will control the lives of your village, your children, everyone. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen. It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode 196 and our movie this week is 1988 fantasy epic Willow. Here to talk with me about it. She hadn't seen it, although started watching the series. It's Amy Frost. Amy, how you doing? I'm good. Well, so see, the thing is... um. Up until recently, I kind of thought I had. <laughs> um, and then I did start watching the series. Mm-hmm. And they're doing all the little flashbacks to the movie and a lot of the, remember when this happened? And I went, no, I categorically do not <laughs> actually remember that. And then, so then when I told you that and you were like, hey, let's come on the show and we'll talk about Willow. I did for like a brief moment worry that like maybe i had Mm -hmm. maybe i actually did and then i watched the movie and said no i have never seen this movie before (laughs) fantastic okay so the fact that you thought you had seen it and had not tells me that this is a type of movie that young amy would have enjoyed or at least the the thought of watching this movie young amy would have liked does that does that seem accurate yeah, totally. And I, I have this I had this weird blind spot as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are there's like this small subset of movies that I didn't see as a kid that like I probably should have. Like I didn't see Labyrinth or Dark Crystal till I was in high school, even though we were like a massive Muppet house. Like somehow that just never happened. And, I, you know, Labyrinth holds up a lot better than than Dark Crystal does. But that's fine. Um, and so I feel like Willow kind of like falls into that, right? Like it slips right in with those two. So like, obviously I've seen Willow. Surely sure. I've seen Willow. <laughs> no. Well, apparently not. So um, yeah. Willow, 1988, uh, story by George Lucas, um, directed by Ron Howard. Does was not w- the the script was not written by George Lucas, which is to this movie's benefit. And it, it is, look, but I. I didn't expect it to feel quite so Star Wars, and yet it does. Mm-hmm. So surprisingly, so yeah. So he wrote this. He came up with this idea for something along these lines. He he says back in the early seventies, sort of when sure. he was coming up with ideas for things like Star Wars and whatnot as well. Yeah. Um. But he wrote the story for this after apparently after meeting Warwick Davis when they were making yeah. Return of the Jedi. And I love the story about Warwick being Wicket and that he took all of Wicket's uh, movements and mannerisms from his dog. Mm hmm. Very good. Very good. And so George Lucas writes a story um, and he wants to produce it. Uh, but so this is what Lucas is good at. Lucas is good at mm-hmm. coming up with an idea uh, yes. and, and a world to. Uh, that this idea can live in, but he's better off leaving the actual dialogue <laughs> to other people. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, as well as I feel the directing to other people. Like producing, yeah. he's great at it. He's a good idea man. He's got lots of uh, lots of great kind of thoughts running through his head about stuff like that. It was the the nuts and bolts directing and the screenwriting that I never I never was very impressed with him. Even back in my younger days, sure. I always thought that. So they were fine. Like it's fine. It's fine, but like the dialogue would always be stilted. And, oh, yeah. you know, it's the classic, nobody ever talks, nobody actually talks like that, which is true. <laughs> like nobody forms yeah. sentences in that way. So, but, but then you have, uh, Ron Howard, who isn't exactly a new director at this point, but he's still fairly young. It's early in his career. Um, right. he's coming off of like, uh, cocoon was his big hit a couple of years earlier. Yeah. And, uh, so it's kind of a really good match. I feel like with, George Lucas, uh-huh. Ron Howard, and then it, it's a pretty nice cast as well. Um, yeah. And it's a fun little fantasy thing that I really, I, I want to talk about some of this world that they built, but I think my first question is, it sounds like you didn't hate it, so. No, I enjoyed it. I do take umbrage with you calling it little, though, because it is two hours and ten minutes, and I do feel like it maybe didn't need to be. We could have pillaged one fewer villages and gotten through the story maybe a little faster you're not wrong there but it's also like at the same time the pacing is such that it moves along decently and it feels like it uh this feels like it needs to be a series so the fact that they did a sequel to it as a series i think works better is very smart very Um, smart because i mean that's the whole thing right like when you do a fantasy epic you are trying to cram an awful lot of information in a very small space. Yes. And so unless you're just going to like use all the cliff notes of like <laughs> here it's King Arthur or it's, you know, oops, all dragons, whatever. Like unless you've got built in shortcuts for the audience, you've got to explain an awful lot of stuff. And that can be a lot. Well, and here's, here's one of the things I think that, that this movie does really well is that it doesn't fall into the trap of explain everything, give us a ton of exposition no. about the world, about the backstory of it. It just throws us into this story and we can kind of infer everything from it. And I think it's smart in that way because we don't need a character telling us that, you know, the, the Nelwyn have problems with the bigger folk. We just get that by based on the interactions. And I love things like you've got the Nelwyn and the Daikini, and we don't have any background of where these names come from. They're just like no. Lucas pulling names out of a hat because that's what he does. Sure. But the first time they run into Mad Mardigan, who is the first Daikini that they see, and he's calling them Peck. <laughs> he's immediately dropping the slurs. He is. But what I like about that is that you you learn so much about this world and so much about this character from those couple of lines. You immediately know yeah. that he's a dickhead and he looks down on at least these little guys, if not uh, everybody. Right. That the Nelwyn are uh, not only do they have um, a pejorative term for them, but it's used pretty openly but they don't seem to get like super upset by it either. Like they don't want to be. I mean, they they like yeah. But well, like, what are they gonna do? Is what it comes down to. At some point, it there's not a lot they can do about it. No, but I also like that we don't dwell on like there. There doesn't have to be no. a scene where we are told that it's a terrible thing to hear being called a peck. It's just yeah. What happened? And so, 
like I like that because that's something that I feel like a lot of stories spend too much time on. In a book, I get it. You've got the sure. the time and sort of the pages to be able to flesh that out and talk about it. But in something like this, just get to it and let the audience figure things out. Because at yeah. first, all we know is that Mad Mardigan says it. But then the next people and the next people and the next people. So now it's like, okay, so these Nelwyn are just treated like crap by everybody. Right. So that, again, tells us and informs us a lot about this world. So I love stuff like that. I like that kind of world building where you can just build it into the interactions with the people instead of having to uh, just, you know, you don't have to signpost everything. You can just write it. It's actually clever writing to do it that way. Yeah. I feel. And I mean, it works because we're, we're, we're following it basically through Willow, right? Like he's mm-hmm. our, he's our, he's our dude on the inside. And like, he doesn't know a ton about how, like he knows how his little bubble works yeah. and he has like a vague knowledge of everything else and that's all we need. And mm-hmm. so that works great. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I just, I, I enjoy that. I like how we start off, we meet Willow and his family and then we find out that, oh, well, he's kind of not super respected in his own village. Yeah. Um, by most people, except for Billy Barty. Uh, yep. The, uh, what is the High Aldwin, I think is what he was yeah. known as. Something like that. Yeah. Um, he's Billy Barty. It's just yep. Gwildor mm-hmm. without as much makeup, uh, which I'm fine <laughs> with. Like, don't have a yep. problem with that at all. Nope. Um, and so then to have that branch out and to see, like, he is your classic underdog of a hero. He's got the courage, but he doesn't have, like, he has the the desire to do the good thing, mm-hmm. but sometimes lacks the self-confidence to, like, go through with it. And so right. what you end up finding is on a lot of the, a lot of the situations he's hiding um, and uh, kind of waiting things out, which makes perfect sense given the Nelwyn probably did that a lot. Like just hide, get out of the way, let things, <laughs> let, let everyone else beat the crap out of there each other. There is no and need then, to exactly. be part of this. Um, but yeah, I just, I really enjoyed that. Uh, this, it's a, it's a great, I also like a movie that tells a very simple story Yeah. and then let the world be interesting and more nuanced. We don't need a complex plot. Baby's born, part of a prophecy, Evil queen wants to kill the baby. All right, that's all I need. Because now I have perfectly legitimate reason to hate this evil queen because she wants to kill a, a literal infant. And for the, you know, the 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 crime of being born mm-hmm. because of a prophecy. So that's, you know, it's it simplify all of that. And then, you know, just get to the get to the story and let the adventure kind of take you. And yeah, I mean, you're not wrong in that they could have trimmed down. I guess they trimmed a good bit there was more to this movie initially <laughs> but i understand that a fan like something like this like a fantasy movie or or a sci-fi movie that's really trying to build the world that they're in that'll happen yeah you, you're gonna right. start off big and you have to pare it down um unless you're coming from an established property that everyone sure. kind of already knows so um i understand that but i just liked it's a very simple adventure story and we get fun characters, um, and Warwick Davis just carries this movie. 18. 17 when they were filming. It's, it's madness. It's, just it, a kid. Just, he is, 
he was seven and ten years older than the than the kids playing his children in the movie. Who are also his children in the series, and this delights me. Oh, they are, and they are adorable. So cute. Oh, God. Mims is like the cutest thing in the world. <laughs> She's just adorable. She's great. And then, um, and now his wife, I read, was not back in the series. Kaya? No, she's not. Um, but she wasn't really an actress to begin with. Like, no, this not was really. Kind she of done one a... of the few things she did. She was a secretary. Yeah, she, she did this. She was in uh, Prince Caspian and the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Yep. The BBC version from '89. Also with version. Warwick Davis. Yes. Um, those are the uh, those are the best um, versions of those. I do very much enjoy those. those. BBC and ones. I think mm-hmm. it's because that's what I grew up watching. Yep. Like when I watched a version of it, it was that one. Um, she was quite a bit older than him. I think, uh, I can't think of her. Why can't I remember her name? Um, Julie Peters Mm-mm-mm. was yeah. in probably her early forties, um, at the time too. So she's yeah. quite a bit older than him now, you know, yeah. so they didn't bring her back. But, uh, I, I, what I liked was I liked our hero in the story is a very, is a humble family man. Yep. Um, so he has he has something to come home to, but he's also like you get the trope of you know he's sort of put upon a little bit like when uh, when the kids find the baby and he's like no 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 we can't we can't do anything like he again you kind of learn so much about Willow from those first couple of scenes where he just sure. wants to sort of fly under the radar and 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 do his uh, do his farming and that's it so like. The kids find the baby and they want to keep the baby. He's like, no, we can't keep the baby. And then as soon as Kaya sees it, it's over. He he has no say <laughs> in the matter anymore. No. Um, even down to like his whole, I will not be ignored as they're all walking away from him, ignoring him. Mm-hmm. Um, but they try to hide the baby for like a day and then realize that's not going to work when the crazy animal creatures come flying into the village. The very, the very good boys in costumes who are very excited to be in costumes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they were, uh, I guess, Rottweilers. And they put those um, masks on them. And they're, so that's another thing that I liked about this movie. I, I, I want to try and stay on track, but like the look of it was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's got, you know, again, simple story, interesting characters, even if they're, you know, they're, they're tropey characters, but at the same time, it works. Um, and then they just did a, they really focused on making this look good, I think, Mm -hmm. especially given the time we'll, we'll talk about effects and things like that later, but, um, yeah, I just, I, I enjoyed all that. Did you have, uh, did you have kind of a favorite, uh, portion of the movie? Did you sort of like the beginning a little bit more or when they started to get into some of the action? Cause it, it it Um, kind of, it definitely has like three acts, you know, very distinct. It does. It does. I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I like the whole thing. I think I probably liked the beginning act the best. I thought the end, especially the final fight, got a little. I liked how it, like, I liked the twist in the final fight, but it did go on for a little while. It's a little long. Like, we can, we can. That baby was damp for so <laughs> long, and I just. I just, I had a lot of questions. I will say, though, I like that the final fight of the film is two elderly women duking it yeah, out and over a wand. And it's got, it's got my favorite thing, which is the, like, um, 
using magic will will age you. Yep. That's always a good one. Oh yeah. But they're they're fighting it out and then at one point uh what's her name? Um uh Raziel just decides oh. screw this and starts punching her in the face. And punches her. I was psyched. <laughs> I was so psyched when that happens. I was like, Grandma fights 1988. Let's go. Let's do this. This is great. And uh, so it's it's Raziel and, and Queen Bav Morda uh, having uh-huh. their, their fight at the end. And then, you know, Willow kind of comes out on top. Uh, but again, this is a, a thing I'm, I kind of referenced already. But like Willow just sort of waiting it out. Like, now nah, Raziel's got this. I'm good. I'll wait. He could have been gone. Oh he yeah, he could have been home before that fight ended. <laughs> he had some real Hamlet energy going on in that scene, and I was just like, "Pick up the baby, <laughs> go, just yeah. walk out the just, door." Just they get... are busy. <laughs> They're not just even going to notice. They're not going to see a thing. Bob no. Morda is too busy. Um, yeah i I very much enjoyed the opening to this because. There's just so much like heart in this little community and, and just sort of that. I love stuff like that. That's why I love the beginning of fellowship of the ring for the same reason we're in the Shire. Sure. And it's, it's quaint, it's homey, it's fun, but you also, you're learning so much about your main character at that point. Mm -hmm. Plus the beginning of the movie also had Tony Cox and, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, David Steinberg is me gosh. Phil yep. Fondacaro uh, as Vaknar, mm-hmm. Von Vonkar. Um, so like, I love seeing them because I, I didn't plan to have Tony Cox in movies back to back, but I watched Bad Santa last week, and he's yeah. in that. So yeah, just sort of worked out that way. Um, but it was fun. It was a cool little village. You get to see like they're having this festival, and then Billy Barty's character just shows up. And what I liked about him mm-hmm. is again, sort of spinning off of like Gwildor is he is clearly the, the sorcerer and this is a world where magic exists and magic is, I don't want to say commonplace, but it's not, it doesn't like blow people's minds to see magic done, but not everybody can do it. And yet the high Aldwin is still kind of a little bit of a bullshit artist. Like, yeah, and and I love that kind of stuff. Like I love mm-hmm. that when the supposedly wise mystic person is also just kind of like, yeah, but at the same time, we're going to fudge this role a little bit. Like he reads the bones. Yeah. And the bones don't tell me anything. Do you love this kid or what? <laughs> like, <laughs> throw me a bone here. Give me something to work yeah, with. Yeah. Which leads yeah. me to think that the bones are never a thing. He just does right. that for the theatrics of it. And I loved it. There was a... Uh, there is a movie from 2005, 2006 called The Last Legion. Um, mm-hmm. It's an Italian, uh, in English speaking, but it's a, like a Dino De Laurentiis type Italian production sure. telling the story of the last legion from the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And um, they uh, there's a legionnaire who's taking a kid who is, um, he is destined to become Caesar but he's got to get out because the Goths are sacking Rome. And so they take the kid and his teacher and a few people and they head to Britannia and they go find the last Legion in Britannia. And what it is, is the whole movie is a setup for Uther Pendragon and Mm -hmm. the the pre-Arthurian legend. But in that, Ben Kingsley plays the movie's version of Merlin. 
Yeah. And he's not really a magician, but he always sets himself up to look like one. Like at yeah. one point there's a big battle going on and he's standing on the on the castle uh, and he's pointing and then big fireballs go flying around. And it's mm-hmm. he's just lined himself up with where the catapults are. Perfect. So when he points, the catapult fires and it looks like he's sending a fireball. Like I love that. So so right. seeing that with the High Aldwin and the setup that we got with uh, with Willow doing just magic tricks was a great Which was callback. So good. So good. His magic tricks and the pig trick was mm-hmm. very good. And I I did yell at my television at one point at the end. <laughs> oh my god, the pig trick. What point so at what point did you figure out what was going on? It was when it it was when he started walking towards the queen with the baby. Mm-hmm. And I it was just the way he was holding it. And I was like, oh my god, the pig trick. And it's set up so well because he has to dive out of the way to, mm-hmm. to hide for a second. So if you're, you know, you're, you're watching that scene, it's like, no, he's just hiding. And then he comes out yeah. from behind there. But no, right. he, he totally pulled the switcheroo on her. And it's like brilliant. So it's good. so, and, and it was, you know, we were told it's that great callback from act one. Yep. I love that. Uh, he, he beats her with magic tricks and mm-hmm. she's like there's there's where magic blows somebody's mind because she can't <laughs> oh, no. she can't fathom how he did that she has yeah. no clue is brilliant i loved it so much um yeah i just this is a fun movie did okay so you like the beginning but you like the whole yeah. movie was yeah. there uh did you have a favorite outside of willow we'll take willow out of the running did you have a favorite okay. character aside from willow um i mean they're all good i mean um, Rule and uh, Fran John the the brownies were very good. I was very surprised at Kevin Pollock. I was like, "Wait, hang on." So wait, hold on. I adore Kevin Pollock. Uh, I have for a long time. He's just he's hilarious. Oh yeah, absolutely. And um, it's funny because I have a uh, I have a note here to myself that was just the brownies are so dumb, but I don't hate them. They're just, they're no, awesome. No, I, they're, they are, they are very sure of their place, which works because brownies are fae, like that, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like that's, a, if, if fae or anything, it's confident. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, they were so good the whole time. Um, the, the like, oh yeah, we're here. You're welcome. Yeah. Don't even worry about it congratulations you're safe (laughs) just or like we have to go um like when they when they take them away from that like rundown village Mm -hmm. um and they're like well we'll never catch the horses then we'll have to track them so do you want to go home no this is more interesting (laughs) like just brimming with confidence yeah almost utterly useless like the only thing they do The only thing they really do is get Mad Mardigan to fall for Sorsha with the yeah, dust of a broken heart. Yeah, that was by accident. It was. And that was, so, that was the trope of the item only works when you want it to. Because yeah. they've set up the dust of broken hearts, which why they had that, I don't even know. But sure, why not? It's fine. Why not? Um, and they set that up when, when Rule gets it dusted on him and then he falls for the cat. 
pulls from the cat. Which is awesome. <laughs> but then when it happens to Mad Mardigan, like, because with Rule, it's the literally the first thing he sees is the cat. Right. And he falls in love. And with Mad Mardigan, he sees Willow, the brownies, like three or four other people before he finally sees Sorsha. And then he falls for Sorsha. Now, they were all dudes. But we don't know if that cat was female or not. We don't so. know. But that's what I'm saying. We don't know. <laughs> okay, but it could have been. Yeah. I just... I it it made me chuckle because I was like, okay, oh yeah, you know, it's fine. It's that's that trope, but it also led to some funny moments. And oh, really? Yeah. Um, I, so if I have a like, I have complaints about the like the movie's not perfect, and I do think one of the problems is that Sorsha is kind of underdeveloped. Yeah. Um, there was supposed to be more to do with her uh, and her father being the king at the end Mm -hmm. and that that was part of her turn was like somehow reconnecting with her father and seeing what was going on, that the queen was causing problems, but it just feels like she sort of decided, all right, I guess I'm just going to switch sides. Yeah. I mean, Vigo had his shirt all the way open and she went, "Eh," you know, I mean, Val had his shirt all the way open and she went, yeah, that'll, that'll do. Let's, that's fine. I mean, I don't blame her, but I mean, it's fine. You know, it's 1987 Val Kilmer. So I do like that he, because they like arrested him in his like tattered dress Mm -hmm. there after he had girded his loins. And then they were like, well, clearly we're going to clothe him because he's a prisoner. So let's give him the hottest outfit we have. (laughs) Yeah. No buttons, though. No. Don't even worry about it. Not a button to be found. He doesn't need him. Um, so Mad Mardigan is obviously your Han Solo character. Um, he's Han's, he's Han duo. And like, he is just, <laughs> he is just like, he's so hard. There was that. And then the, um, the chariot fight thing. I was like, this is the speeder bike race. Like this is the speeder bikes through the trees. Like this it's, is the same scene. It's the speeder bikes through the trees and it's Indiana Jones getting break, dragged by the like, truck. It's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, like it's it's, it's that done again. No, for sure. <laughs> yep. No, you got because like the 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 random uh, thing shows up for the young farm boy, and then he has yep. to go on his adventure, and well. he meets a scoundrel, and mm-hmm. you know they they have their adventures. Um, the brownies did manage to steal the baby. They did. Uh, they did, and that was again another fantasy epic where things could have been moved along if the eagles had shown up again. <laughs> oh, I, I loved that though. Like they needed a reason. Good. They needed a reason to bring things back together. So of course they steal the baby. That gets Willow's attention, and yeah. then uh, I just love how they run into him later, and then and you slowly. The thing with Mad Mardigan is mm-hmm. he's definitely the you know the scoundrel with a heart of gold because his facade starts to break fairly quickly when they find him again yeah and they <laughs> talk about having to go to the lake or whatever and he's like wait you to the that's where i'm going like he wasn't actually yeah. going that way he totally no. wasn't but he decided that he's going to help them um so i just i i dug that but like he keeps coming up with these excuses to do things which is why it's great when they get to that castle and he goes into the room 
and it's just full of all the the armaments and everything and he sees the armor and you just watch his yeah. face light up he's like i get to wear the armor again <laughs> i got the armor and he he rocked that armor i tell mm-hmm. you what um mm-hmm. but uh yeah i i just i love the brownies they're they're so they're dumb so good. and they're so good like they're it's so easy for the like comedy sidekick to just go too far or mm-hmm. too much and like i don't feel like they did no it was like I a mean, lot of the times when it was like some of the some of the action started to be a little a little and then they'd roll in and i'll be like all right i'm back in it great and the thing is like i know people that uh i've talked to in the past that didn't like the brownies because they felt like it was too much comic relief but i feel i feel as though they struck a good balance to it i think my only complaint about the brownies has nothing to do with the way they're written it's simply that they didn't have the technology to that footage hasn't aged as well as some other things because it's blue screen composited in but what they did for the time looks really good they did I a great job it looked real good i was impressed in fact I mean, because I, mean, I did go into it like in the mindset of this is 1988. <laughs> like, I'm not going to, you know what I mean? Like, I thought it looked great. Again, um, there's like one part where when they've when they've when they're doing the Gulliver's Travels thing and they've got them tied up and, and one of them is like jumping up and down on top of Willow. And I was like, OK, maybe we maybe we should have skipped that one. Yeah, that one wasn't great. Or when they're trying but to I cut the one rope looked... off of them, you can see clearly. Yeah. But that's just a limitation of the blue screen technology they yeah, had to I composite that in. No, really what they good. what they had looked good. I'm all I'm saying is that comparing it to what they could do today, obviously sure. today they could do that better. But but it was ILM working on this, and they did so much with interaction with the brownies. Um, yeah, you know, hiding under a helmet, and then the helmet flips over because they lifted it off. Like that looked really good. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I really enjoyed that. And I just like the brownies. And the thing was, other composites, like the fairies that were in the forest, yep. um, the one that comes up and kind of smooches his yep. nose and all that, those look better. And I think it's because you've got uh, an object on a black background. And yep. so there's nothing behind it you have to worry about it compositing with, just black. And then it's also kind of generating its own light source. So like that's right. an easier thing to... Right, so they've already to... got like fuzzy edges. Yeah. So, so that's not so worried about that either. That's easier to do, but like the blue screening that they did, I thought looked really good. The morphing technology mm-hmm. that they used, um, that was developed by ILM for this movie. Uh, yeah, they were contemplating between doing like stop motion or um, something else. I don't remember what the other. I think it was just optical effects in sure. camera. And Dennis Murin was like, "These are both kind of tough." And so they had one of their guys start writing software and it would do the morphing and then put it back out to film so they could shoot the the film of the different animals and then yeah. pop it into the computer, do the morph, and push it, put it back out and finished film. And yeah. that stuff looked great. Yeah. All of that. Even even the troll, when it morphs into the pile gross. of... It was really gross. That was gross. But I did like... It looked I good. did like... That like, there was a lot of setup in that very beginning, right? Like before Willow leaves the farm. Oh, right, because it's like, well, but what about brownies and <laughs> trolls and dragons? And I'm just like there with my check boxes, like, yep. okay, all right, yes, very good, excellent. We've got them all. 
but that that's a way acorns yeah but but there again that comes kind of back to the what i was talking about with the clever writing of this yeah is that's a a great way to integrate that in in a conversation that feels normal the kids his kids probably have never left that village so they're They've heard all these stories and now their dad is yeah. leaving the village. So it makes perfect sense for the kid. There's no, it doesn't feel forced to bring those no, things no. up. And I like that. That's what makes, yeah. I, I really feel like that's what makes this movie work more so than, than many other uh, fantasy movies, especially of that era. Stuff like um, uh, Dragon Slayer was one, which is great. They, they're yeah. not bad movies, but I feel like the writing in this just worked a little bit better for me because of things like that. And yeah. sort of that world building. And even something as simple as Mad Mardigan um, referring to Willow as a Nelwyn that one yes. time where he says, I'm yeah. I'm with the Nelwyn. Like, because there again, that tells you so much about what's happening in that scene in just a couple of words. That's, right. to me, a good execution of a moment. So, I like that. Um, so yeah, the brownies. The brownies are great. Rule mm-hmm. and, uh, what is it? Uh, Fel- Frangine. Rule yep. getting drunk on beer, falling into the the pint of beer, and then being drunk for the rest of. I know of they said it was things. beer, but then it was all apples everywhere. And I was like, mm, that's probably cider, guys. I mean, it's, it's cool. Yeah, probably, but mm. maybe he only knows the word beer. He might. I mean, it is he brownie. Was real good. I liked when they pick him up off the ground, and he's like, "Tell them to stop the cart." <laughs> yes. It's, okay. like, it's Kevin Pollack. I mean, he so he cracks me oh. up. And and I didn't even, like, it didn't even bother me the way they would ha- pitch their voice way up. No. Didn't bother me at all. Made no, perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, but just Kevin Pollack and everything. I just watched not that long ago because it was leaving Tubi TV. And for some reason, right. I had this weird, like, I'm just going to watch End of Days because yeah, all right. I'm bored. And I watched <laughs> End of Days, and he's in that. And you can tell he ad-libbed, like, everything he said in that movie. Because it's just him riffing off of uh, Arnold all the time. Yeah. So, uh, my favorite of performance of his is still as uh, Hockney in The Usual Suspects. Sure. He has some of the best one-liners in that. <laughs> I, I just, I, I loved every second of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the brownies are great. I loved, I, I mentioned Billy Barty because Billy Barty is just fun. Uh-huh. Like he's just crazy. Uh, also, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Kenny Baker is in the background of one shot. Oh, is he? Yeah. That's he's cool. one of the musicians. I did um, like, I was like trying to look right. I was like, cause I mean, this is, there's, there's plenty, plenty of little people actors from that time. And I'm like. Yeah. I know that like every one of them is in this, right? Like basically, like, they yeah. what was it? Uh, Warwick Davis said that um, the casting call was something like two hundred and twenty-five to two hundred and forty little people. It was one of the biggest. It was the biggest casting call uh, to to date uh, when they made this, and I loved that. Um, and I, I so yeah, I was doing the same thing. I was looking. That's why it's like. Oh, there's, uh, you know, I saw names popping up in the opening credits because I haven't watched this yep. in a while. So I forget sometimes some of the smaller, you know, the side roles or the like sure. blink and you miss it cameos. The rumor is that Peter Dinklage is somewhere in the background, but he's not credited anywhere. Right. So who knows? He would have been about the same age, about 17 uh, at the time sure. that this was made. Yeah. Um, 
Also, where's his name? He played Burglecut. So I kept thinking I knew him from something else. And then it must be something uncredited because I went through his IMDb and I was like, I've seen none of this. It's none of this. Because it's not a ton. Northover. Yeah. And uh, yes, yes, very much. And no, I'm I'm the same way. I feel like I know him from something, but it's maybe just from having watched this. Because you're right, he doesn't have I'm, a lot. I'm of wondering. Credits. I'm, and I'm one. So I'm wondering if he's like uncredited in something, and so that's why I recognize him. It could be. You know, some um, crowd scene somewhere. The uh, oh, the gag of uh, little baby Alora throwing up on him. So that was so, funny. I know because you're not big on, on the pukes. I'm not, but babies is different because mm-hmm. that's when I lose interest in babies when it goes from spit up to throw up. So um, it, it's funny because in the series, and this is not a spoiler. Sure. Um, they're, they're in a carriage ride and she throws up on Willow. <laughs> and I was like, this feels gratuitous. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, Okay, I'm now okay with it. This is fine. So the story, tell, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, you can tell that Burgle Cut doesn't have any kids. Yes. Because anyone with kids would never pick a baby up like that because that's exactly what happens when you do. So the story goes, and I don't know how much validity there is to this, but the story goes that that was not written in the script, that that happened because Warwick Davis has kind of a limp and they had the baby in that mm-hmm. pack. And so the baby got motion sickness, and then when it got picked up, threw up. So mm. I don't know how true that is, but I did see an interview where Warwick Davis did say that at the time he thought it was kind of a bit much and sort of silly, but then after he became a dad, it made perfect sense <laughs> He was like, oh, no, actually, this is accurate. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so there I, I take that piece of trivia with a grain of salt. But yeah. it does also kind of feel like something that maybe could have happened and you just, even if the exact moment wasn't what we saw in film, that maybe sure. happened and then they're like, no, well, okay, let's go with let, that. We'll do that again. Do that. Yeah, that's funny. And I do like yeah. too that Burgle Cut gets puked on by the baby and gets pooped on by the bird at the end. By the bird at the end. Very so good. Because he's in charge. He is, Oh, yeah. And he'll let he's you know. The leader. Yeah. <sighs> Every village has to have that idiot. Yeah. And because that was one of the things is they get to that crossroads and they sit there for like a night. And then the next Mm -hmm. day he's just like, well, we're done here. We're going to go. Come on, everybody. And he forces everybody to leave with him. And I mean, the plan was take the baby to the crossroads. Now, if I'd been Willow, I'd have taken that little campfire and just lit it under Mad Mardigan's cage. He (laughs) would have no longer been a problem because he was he was not. Not a nice man for a little while there. He was. I feel like he was not in a he was not in a position to not be very nice. No, but I also feel like that's what got him in that position in the first place was yeah, was acting true. that way. That um, is good when Eric shows up and he's like, <laughs> "What'd you do to get in there? Nothing you wouldn't have done in my position." <laughs> yeah, that was another one where there was more backstory to that that he was a knight in some army and then deserted. Um, sure. for, for reasons. And that was part of what got him in the crow's cage. Um, so it's hard to say, but I liked Eric and I liked that he kept popping up. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's obviously not, uh, not a ton of ground being covered because they keep running into this guy everywhere. Yeah. 
which is cool. Uh, I don't have a problem with that because they didn't tell us. They never gave us an idea of scale of how far anything no. was, which no. is kind of smart because then you can't out logic. And it makes it. sense too because distances are going to seem vastly different to Mad Mardigan than they are to Willow mm-hmm. or the Brownies. Like, yeah, d- distances don't matter. Like, it doesn't matter a number because. It's it's a very individual thing in that sort of scenario. Yeah. Yeah. And it very much has, uh, I mean, there's just a scale thing going on. It's like Texas close versus New England close. There you go. Like yes. Those are very different numbers. Yep. Somebody who, like you that grows up in Massachusetts, close means a yep. whole different thing than Texas where it could be like, mm-hmm. no, it's a, that's a full day's drive. But yeah. that's close. Like you can make it yeah. there the same calendar day. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I do, I had memory that Migosh stuck with him for longer for some reason. And I don't know why, because it makes sense. Is he? They meet back up. Oh, that's good. It's real good. Is it David Steinberg? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. Cause I did, I did read that they brought most everybody back that they could. Yeah. That they could. Um, and even Val Kilmer was supposed to be in the series right up until like the last minute and then they ended up, uh, but, um, I just, for whatever reason, I had this memory that Migosh was around longer, but it makes sense that things went the way they did. And Willow being Willow is like, no, go home. I'll, I'll do this. This is my thing because that is Willow. He has that big heart. Uh, plus he knows that if anything happens to him. There will be someone to take care of his wife and kids. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yep. there's that part of it, too, right? Mm-hmm. And they've just met, you know, the the elf, what is it, like, elf or fairy queen and all yeah. the fairies and the brownies and everything like that. And it's like, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot to, that was to the, happen. That was the only part that I couldn't, like, it's okay, it's 1988, my way through. <laughs> I did laugh about it a little bit. Like, it was a bit much. (laughs) Like, it's fine. Just the big glowy face and just, it was, I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. We need this. This is exposition. It's important. It's really the only, it's kind of the only moment of just like, hey, here's a bunch of plot we're going to dump on you at once. Yeah. Like, everything else seems to happen in context here or there. Yeah. Uh, There's that and there's the moment where, at the beginning with the queen, um, going to where the baby's being born. Yeah. And they like shuffle the baby out in the laundry. It's the yep. world's quietest infant. It's, it's new. It's very tired. It's, <laughs> it's okay. true. Yeah. It, it's been through a lot already. Yeah. Um, and then you get the, uh, the moment where she moses the baby down the, down the stream. Yep. Cause she knows the, the, the very good boys the, are coming. The hounds are coming. The very good boys. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, so one thing that this movie has, this is a, this movie came out in 1988, it's rated PG. Not PG-13, PG. Okay. And it has uh it has that thing that you you brought up already, Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, which are also uh kids movies uh, or aimed at younger audience and rated PG. Right. Is it does that thing that 80s PG films could get away with which is be a little bit scary for kids i mean so like let's let's look at it for a second right because pg is parental guidance 
So it is like up to you to watch the movie and go, mm-hmm. yes, yes, my child will be into this. This is fine. Um, and I, yeah, I feel like we've lost that a fair amount. Oh, we definitely have. Um, but this this movie has, I mean, first of all, General Kale. Yeah. His mask, that skull mask thing that he it's wears. so scary. That is freaky, but I love it. Like, it's such a great oh, look. But man, that's yeah. that's scary when you're a little kid watching yeah. this. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, we already mentioned the troll, both the the look of the trolls themselves, but then when that troll gets when he transmogrifies it into a, a dragon. I, yeah, I I didn't quite understand it, but it didn't matter. We did magic and things didn't go right. Right, and that's fine. And but like that that transition. The transition itself was that morphing technology. That looked great. Then it got real gross. And then it gets really scary. Yeah, Yeah. real gross. Um, There was also... The water was a good... That was a good move. Yes. Because the bubbling water is always like, oh, uh uh-oh. Yeah, what's happening? Now we're in trouble. Uh, And the turning the army into pigs is also one of those scenes that's kind of creepy. Especially for young kids. there. Yeah. Very Greek. Excellent. Oh yeah. And just like the, there's a shot in it in particular. I mean, there's one of Mad Mardigan uh, where first you see the kind of tusks forming and then like yeah. his face changing, but there's another one later on where it's it's clearly somebody that's like buried up to their chest, right? With the fake but it's body, scary. but it's freaky. It's so scary. <laughs> I was like, oh no! And then, and then if you're an adult. And you know how pigs are. Mm-hmm. At the end, you're just like, that is an uncomfortable number of pigs. Like, I don't, pigs are very scary. I do like that the brownies are turned into piglets. Yes, I liked that. <laughs> There's two little little pigs. Also, little uh, pigs. trivia states that uh, they were having trouble keeping the pigs from trying to mate with each other. So they, were, <laughs> they were having to use buckets of cold water <laughs> to keep them apart. Oh, which just made me laugh. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, uh, having the brownies turn into piglets was a, was very, was very scary. good. Move. There's a few moments like that. Part, oh, go ahead. The, and, and it was after that, that I, I was like yelling at the movie to hurry up. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, Cause the Queens already got the baby on the altar and they're yeah. like having a meeting. <laughs> it's got to like, go in so front of the committee. Gonna, she's going to transform the pigs back into people fine but maybe we could do like some key ones and then everybody else can get in line for later because right now the baby is already on the altar we've summoned lightning like it's go time and they're like so groundhogs though and it's like no no just go just go just go (laughs) there was there was a lack of urgency in that final act. There was act. a lack of urgency. That's exactly it. There was a lack of urgency. And I was like, we've been real urgent about all of this up until this point. And now it's just like, oh, we can relax. They, My only thing I can say is that Ra- uh, Raziel knows that this ritual that Queen Bavmorda has to do is going to take like the next three days. Like it's a three-day ritual. Sure. So it's like, we're here. We're fine. She just started. We're good. Yeah, but We've the got baby some is time. <laughs> I know. I know. I noticed that this watch through actually was just the like it just hurry, 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 and oh. wait. And then that last part, that's Emily. where it stretches out a lot because you got the fight. Very. Yes. <sighs> but 
you know, we got to get all our moments in. Which is always good because there's always stairways Mm -hmm. and and Eric died of a gut wound faster than any human has ever died of a gut wound. And that's fine. Like he died of the gut wound. Yeah. Eric, (laughs) Eric died from that gut wound really quick. Meanwhile, Kale took like five gut wounds to put him down. Like, yeah, he got hit by uh, a broken sword, a full on sword, a serrated sword. Like, yeah, that poor dude's innards were. Well, he's got the big eyebrow, too. Yeah. That, by the way, was uh, Pat Roach that played him. That's the uh, the big German bare knuckle boxer at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, it is. So So good. He uh, two very memorable deaths in film. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, it's just I, I chuckle at the, the lack of urgency. And yet, like I say, overall, I feel like the pacing's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, for, for the most part, you could tighten up that or if you want it. Like the thing is, I, I struggle to wonder what you would cut because do you cut the stuff on the mountaintop in the snow? Because that's a fun action scene. Because that was really funny. It was a really funny Matt Mardigan. All right. So first of all, the sledding, there was I. Fantasy sledding happens more than maybe it should. Probably. Um, but <laughs> Matt Martin winding up in the snowball. I <laughs> so like, that's where this movie like toes the line of being ridiculous, but yeah. somehow it gets away with it when he is rolling down and it's just literally a giant cinder, uh, cylinder of cylinder. snow. I just I was like, oh no. <laughs> And just shuts the door and waits. Oh, but yeah. And he's like, what happened? (laughs) Yeah, and he has no memory of what just happened to him either, which is the best part. Uh, And so they have that that nice exchange. He's doing the the stage roll down the hill, which is the, it's the Princess Bride roll. Yep. Like it looks exactly the same because that's the way that you roll down a hill and Mm -hmm. don't break anything. Good. Yep. Uh, They were sledding on a shield. That yep. looked surprisingly like a toboggan from underneath. It sure did. <laughs> but then again, I mean, they don't look that different. It's mm, fine. I suppose. Um, no, this, again, I keep using the word fun, but this is a fun movie. It's a fun fantasy movie. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I talk about where I like, I just like things, um, the world building that they did with this. Did you notice, by the way, um, the one little goof where they had to ADR Warwick Davis when he's giving the baby to Mad Mardigan for the first time and he says, goodbye, little one? When, If you watch it again, when you watch it again, pay attention because what he says is, goodbye, Alora, uh, you know, he gives her name, Alora, whatever. I can't remember. I can't think of it now. Um, But, he hadn't heard her name by that point right. in the movie because right. he hadn't met right. fairy fairy queen yet. So they had to like, yeah. oh, let's change that real quick. So it's oh. little one. Um, yeah. I caught that. Uh, oh, 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 the music. I love the music in this. It's James Horner score. The music was good. And uh, what I like about it is it has, it has that adventurous feel to it. Um, and and also James Horner had a tendency to um, utilize a lot of classical pieces 
and sort of yeah. integrate those into what he would write. And um, yep. and it works here, I think, really well. And so I just I yeah. wanted to point that out. I, I liked – this is kind of the era that I really like James Horner's work in this because he did – a couple years after this was The Rocketeer, which I really like the music in The Rocketeer. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that was um, – The Rocketeer, by the way, was directed by Joe Johnston, who was an associate producer on this movie. Hmm. A little connective tissue there. But hmm. I just – I very much liked the music, and I like James Horner. Um, yeah, this, it, it's a fun, uh, adventure. Um, just kind of, and, and I like, I like to, again, there's a little bit of reading at the beginning, but just plop us into the story, let that carry it. And then unfortunately the movie didn't make like a ton of money, but it was profitable. Sure. It did decent internationally on home video. Um, but it went up against, uh, what was it like Rambo three and, um, sure a couple of other movies that came out right around the same time. So it didn't make a ton of money, which is why yeah. we never got a full on sequel in theaters and movies. They, I guess, uh, George Lucas co-wrote or had co-writing credit on some novels, uh, that were mm-hmm. supposed to extend the story in the mid to late nineties that were written sure. by Chris Claremont. Uh, and apparently they were, Lucas didn't like them. Like he disowned because <laughs> um, they were they were focused more on the the war and yeah. I guess had kind of didn't have the same sort of I, like the war is happening but it's not super relevant no no it really it really isn't especially to this story and kind of this this little subset and of the, the known which yeah. is like you know where we're where we're starting off from mm-hmm. I mean it matters in that. Laura's gonna fix everything when she grows up. Yeah, which isn't that always isn't that always great. Mm-hmm. No pressure. <laughs> um, no pressure. Um, but I mean, it it works doing the doing the sequel series now because Warwick was so young. Yeah, like it it doesn't seem like he's that much older now, so it uh, it's not so bad doing it now. Mm-hmm. Um, one more complaint I had, and it's really just Sorsha again as a character. She's not given a whole lot. And then we're supposed to think that she's kind of some sort of a warrior based on how she's introduced. But yeah. if you notice in that final battle at the castle, she's just watching Mar- Mad Mardigan the whole time. She's not fighting yeah. anybody. She's just like staring. She has a chainmail scarf, yep. and, which was weird. A little bit, yeah, just a little weird. No, she's got her war horse with his feathers, and that's mm-hmm. good. But yeah, she doesn't. They didn't. They didn't give her much. And I mean, honestly, some of that I I can put on the writers is like they just probably didn't know what to write, they didn't know yeah. what to do, and so she's just sort of there. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of you know, I mean. Leia's not that different. <laughs> like, no, you're not wrong. She's uh, really not. She really, <laughs> she really didn't. Similar. She didn't get much more to do until the second movie, and yeah. even then, it was still just little pieces. Like, yeah. So yeah, I mean that happens. It's just I, I would have liked more of that because I think that the the idea of the daughter of the queen, the evil queen, yeah. Um, and there again, though, something that if you took this one story and stretched it out over a, a short series then you could 
have that character and have some reasoning behind why she turned on her mother and started following random dude that she met who accosted <laughs> her in her sleep. Like, yeah, you know, there's, there, there's no real reason for her to like Mad Mardigan whatsoever uh, at all. No. Uh, but she just fell for his poetry. So yeah, <laughs> his flowery language. <laughs> um, it's fun it, because I mean, I've, I, I've only, there's only been, a few episodes so far, but like they're already taking some of those themes and finding new ways to work them into the sequel series, but they can flesh them out a little better. So here's a question for you. So you started watching the series. How many episodes of it had you seen before watching the movie? Two. Two. Okay. Do you feel that watching the movie was helpful for the series at all? Or do you feel like you could have continued on with the series without having I mean, seen the movie and it make no difference? I'd, I'd have picked it up at some point. Okay. Right. I'd have, I'd have figured it out. Like, cause you find out, you know, you meet Alora pretty quick and you find out that she's real important pretty quick. So I probably would have pieced together everything else. You know what I mean? Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have, languished and been like i don't understand like because it is like we said you know like it's a little tropey which is fine mm-hmm. but you know as such it means it's got a lot of like yes i understand how this works that's fine yeah a prophecy got it no problem <laughs> um do you feel that seeing the movie helped then like, yeah was, was I do. it worthwhile um yeah definitely um especially like Cause like I I I could have told you like before right I was like yeah no Willow it's Willow Matt Mardigan yeah Val Kilmer yeah <laughs> but if you'd asked me what happened <laughs> that's where it would have all fallen apart and so like actually knowing and and being able to compare right like mm-hmm. where Willow was yeah before to where Willow is now is is pretty vital also like Warwick Davis was a good actor when he was eighteen. Yeah. He is amazing now. Well, so that was one of the things I was going to uh, really touch on was like, he's so good in this at really 17. Good. He he definitely is the emotional center of the movie, but he, he absolutely carries it. You yeah. know, And that's impressive to do for somebody as young as he was making this. Yeah. And especially someone as young as he was, who's not been given a whole lot of opportunity to play other characters with a whole lot of emotional depth. Yeah. I mean, here, here he is 17. He had, he's done, uh, what, uh, star Wars, um, return of the Jedi would have only been three or four years earlier. Right. Uh, it was 83. So he had, okay. So before Willow, he had played, uh, exactly two characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had played Wicket. Yep. And then Wicket again. Uh, yep. And a third and fourth time. Yep. And then Goblin Core in Labyrinth. Yeah. So he was just a background player in Labyrinth. So, like, this is really the second time he's gotten to do much in the way of acting. And the first time right. he's really portraying a full character that isn't uh, mute. Um, right. And he just nails it. It's amazing yeah. how good he is in this. Yeah. And I've seen him in stuff since then, so I know he's gotten better. So it's really great to hear that he's just even keeps improving. He's really good. 
I will say, so the end of the movie, right? Like they they give him a pony and send him on his way. Mm-hmm. That's great. Very good. Um, he was riding a regular horse earlier. Was he? Why didn't we just? He was by himself at one point. Okay, I'm trying. And I was to just remember. like, why did we give him a pony? I mean, it's really cute. I, I suppose it's more use when he gets home, but. I wonder too if maybe it was because I don't remember him riding the horse by himself. I remember him being on a horse with Mad Mardigan. But I it was part where he was without. Him. I'm almost positive because Mad Mardigan did something stupid, and he like turned around and was like, "What?" Yeah, I mean, I forget now. Mad Mardigan did a lot of things stupid, so I, I yeah. can see that. Um, I liked. Uh, I liked that he plowed. He plowed his farm with a pig. Yeah, that was great. And uh, and of course, you know, uh, he's where did he get all the seeds? And he's like, uh, my family gathered them in the forest because that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Who knows? That's where Who knows seeds where come from. Who knows how much of that is true? But yeah. I liked it. Um, what was I going to say? I'm trying to remember now. I don't or know. A pony, maybe. Uh, could have been. I I did like that. I, I thought that was cool, though. They give him a pony. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, they found a willow-sized horse for him. That's great. The horses in this were great because there was one point where you could tell that it was the good army that was riding towards them because they all had white horses. Yes. <laughs> the shortcuts are very good. Like, it's easy. We don't need to know banners. We don't need to know nope. sigils. We just need to know good guys on white horses. Yep. Bad guys got mm-hmm. black horses and their their horse armor has horns on it. Yep. Because Kale's, Kale's horse had Kale's some had horns. It was very good. Uh, I I dug that quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I did capture some audio because there's some good stuff in this in this movie, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. I figure you would want to hear some of it. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, the, we're introduced to Willow, and one of the first things he says when he sees that there is a baby, a, a an infant in a basket in the river that his children have found, and his his immediate reaction is. We'll push it downstream and forget we ever saw it. Like, I mean, I get it. It's not the worst idea. It's not. It's not the that worst idea at all. As big as they are, like <laughs> it's a big baby. Just kick it out of the reeds, and it will be someone else's problem. We've never seen it, and we don't know anything about it. And apparently, uh, that baby was wearing a wig. Yeah. And oh, that would, baby was very much wearing a wig. And they were it was very they would, cute. They would put the wig on with syrup. Huh. Because you know the the normal stuff was too harsh for their skin. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And it was uh, as is you know usual. It was twins that played the baby. Yep. yep. Um, but there were uh, scenes shot in New Zealand, and so they had some other infants that they some would other use. Baby. Yeah. That those babies though those those two were expressive. Cute. Yep. Like, and I mean, she, so you just think about how much footage there has to have been. Of just a baby just staring. Yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> right? Like there's just infinite infinite footage of a baby just staring. Yep. And they those the uh, they never did anything again. That was this was the only thing they've yeah. made. Um But it's like that. That's our hero, ladies and gentlemen. Just push the baby down the stream and forget about it. It was never here. Yep. yep. Uh here. let's see. Um oh, uh there was I only captured one of them, but there was three. Not one, not two, but three Wilhelm screams in the movie. Yes, there were. And I noticed all three of them, and I wrote a note mm-hmm. to myself on each one. Mm-hmm. 
I'm like, Wilhelm Scream. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a second one. And another. And but I did capture right one there. because <laughs> it's right there. You can't not hear it. So good. This was also, you know, obviously 88. This was before it was used, over, overused. And Lucas, right. George Lucas was known to use them anyway. So I'm going to capture that when, the I, when I hear it. in this movie. The, I... <coughs> Boy, did that feel like George <laughs> Lucas or what? Yes, it did. I was like, can we not, though? <laughs> he loves... It was damaging to cinema. He loves, loves those wipes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, this is um our, our brownie rule. Yeah! <laughs> and now I have that forever. And I need Excellent. to figure out how, how and when to use it because... Excellent. A plus. It's quite great. Uh, I don't remember what this one was, so we'll just listen. Absolutely, under no condition whatsoever is anyone in this family to fall in love with that baby. And this, they're not listening to him at all. Oh, that's the dad that doesn't want a cat. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Nope, that's sorry, perfect. Dude. It's exactly who he is. He's the dad that doesn't want a cat and then ends up falling in love with the cat. Yeah, he didn't want the baby, together. but now we're gonna we're gonna take care of the baby. We love the baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, what's this one? I don't love her. She kicked me in the face. Ah, yes. <laughs> oh boy, that's so. That line, I so good. Again, trivia is that he ad libbed a lot of what he did. That sounds to me like an ad lib. It sounds like an ad lib, and it's yeah. so good. It's such yeah. a great delivery of that that <laughs> it's a good thing it was a one shot on Val because I have a mm-hmm. feeling that like if that was in a two shot they never would have gotten a take where that worked. No, because you wouldn't have gotten like good enough delivery without without Warwick Davis just losing it. Right, because I laugh every time I hear it. It's very good. I don't love her. She kicked me in the face. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, I got one. No, I think this is Queen Bavmorda. Um, and I don't, I'm not, well, let's listen. Is it then? It probably is. No. Yeah. It's when she tells him to bring the baby over and he yeah. kind of starts yeah. to take the he's step like, and then stops. He's like, no, no, it was, it, yeah, it was the way she reacted to it. That's why I captured it. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, Mad Mardigan, uh, giving, uh, his reason, uh, for his, his um, he's giving a CV here. I am the sure. greatest swordsman that ever lived. All right. That's all you need. Yeah, brimming with confidence. Sure, my dude. Sure, yeah. Uh, more of the brownies. While you were taking a pee-pee. Oh, uh, Frangine. I stole a baby. Baby. So I, uh, I had three different clips to play for the intro to the show today. And one of them was... Yep. Uh, ended with "I stole a baby" <laughs> as he's flying I past. Am a, I am a I am a notorious baby stealer, <laughs> so I I did like that part. Yeah, but it's just like I I recognize you. You we stole a baby while you were taking a pee and that <laughs> made me laugh because I I say that to Bella all the time. Like you got to go yeah. outside. You need to go pee pee. Yeah. So made me Sorry. chuckle. Uh, <laughs> Who's to blame? That was from the beginning. The, uh, uh, I loved it because 
it was Willow saying like, no, they're going to see the baby as some sort of an, a bad omen and they're going to want to blame whoever found it. And yeah, it's kind of like, oh, really? Nobody would do that. And then the first thing you hear yeah, like is, who's to blame? Yeah. I loved that. So, yeah. Uh, who's to blame? And it's perfect old man voice, too. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, those are audio clips uh, from the movie. Loved it. So you got who's to blame, and of course, yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, that's Will- Willow. It's it's surprised it surprised me when you said you hadn't seen this movie. This is uh, what I'm saying. It surprised me when I said I hadn't seen it. So I suppose that tracks. But it's definitely one that I feel like holds up. Like. You know, fantasy Definitely. movies uh, and movies with heavy special effects can be kind of hit or miss sometimes, but yeah. they did such a good job of creating a look for this world and then really going with it. So yeah, it doesn't have like a overly saturated color palette and it's not all gray either. Yeah. Um, there's more saturation in the colors and things in the Nelwyn village. Uh, and then you get outside yeah. of that and it's a lot of browns and it's a lot of... Um, stuff like that, which makes sense. But like, I just right. liked how everything looked. I liked that there was a good mixture of practical and digital effects that were going on. ILM's always been great at that. But having yeah. as simple as throwing a mask on Rottweilers and having them be your crazy animals that demon that dogs. just go and yeah. yeah, the demon dogs. Like, the hounds. It's perfect. That works so well, yeah. and that works so much better than trying to to come up with some sort of a digital thing that. That isn't going to age as well. Right. Um, right. But then also leveraging the digital technology where they could because those animal morphs with Raziel yeah. looked great. I, when she I started turning into the ostrich. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, because she goes from that uh, that possum. Uh, it's like an Australian possum, I think. An Australian possum, yeah. Also... Uh, and I that made a note really of this. Good. That looks with so its good. Mouth the, moving? Yes. It so good. <laughs> I was like, how is that so good? That was on the level of like Babe, Pig yeah. in the City. Like, and that won oh, an yeah. Oscar for special effects for doing that. that now, they did it on really a ton more, good. but it really did. Um, really good. Because um, she goes from the Australian possum to the crow or raven. Who doesn't really, who doesn't really, yeah. like she talks, but she doesn't talk, talk. Yeah. There's no um, lips. Then the goat. Yeah. Yep. Then the goat. The goat. Then to an and ostrich. Then, and then there's the ostrich, peacock. Uh, I feel like there's, oh, tiger. Yep. And I was like, we should stop there. <laughs> yep. That this seems is, this... like that could be helpful in this situation. Very much That'll so. That'll do. That's fine. A tiger could solve a lot of problems right now. And then naked old lady. Yep. Um, I did really like when the first time Willow has to change her or tries to, and they're in their cage and she's like, all right, now you have to concentrate really hard on this and not let anything distract you. And then it's just distraction after distraction after distraction. Like first it's the brownies coming up. Hey, we're here. Everything's fine now. And then it's like mad Mardigan. Yeah. Cause she's like, I'm a beautiful young woman. And mad Mardigan's like, concentrate Willow. (laughs) (laughs) Look, he's been stuck in that cage for a while. He was thirsty in a lot of different ways. That's right. true. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and now he's stuck in a cage again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, I enjoyed the crap out of this movie um, when I was younger, even though parts of it scared me. But 
I'm really glad you finally got to see this. I I do wonder, do you think the scary, intense parts would have been too much when you were younger for you? Knowing, so I don't knowing know you. because like everybody talks about how much the owl scared them in Nim, and like that never bothered me as a kid. Um, so like I don't know. Young me had like very specific fears, <laughs> but like the 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 shot in Nim where they where they like give them the medicine and they start to like transform and stuff that scared the hell out of me. Yeah. Um. So well, I I don't know. And like, so that's the kind of like, I wonder for younger Amy, would the troll thing have been too gross? Would the the skull mask have been a bit much? The skull mask, I think would have been fine. Cause like, I, I was really into He-Man. So like a skull face is fine. Like that's fine. It's just a skull face. Sure. But I don't know. I like, I think it, it kind of depends, I guess, exactly when, when we caught me, like, 1988, I probably would have been too scared. But if we come in like the early 90s, probably would have been fine. And really, honestly, I think, because you would have been same age as me, so about seven, yeah, eight, yeah. seven eight years old yeah. when this came out, that m- probably a bit young for it anyway. Yeah. Like just in general. Um, yeah. But sort of that kind of 10 years old and on, I think this is a good one. I think this is... Yeah. Because... I agree, and I talked about this in Dark Crystal review when when I did that movie a couple years ago. You know, Jim Henson talking about how it's okay for kids to be a little scared sometimes. Like, it's not a bad thing. And I 100% agree with that. So, like, at 10, 11 years old, seeing this movie and having parts of it that creep you out a little bit, I remember seeing um, Edward Scissorhands when I was that age, and it being creepy and scaring me a little bit, um, just from some of the imagery. But yeah. It wasn't anything that was too intense, and I think no. that there's there's a line that you can get to, and this movie definitely finds that. And yeah, um, the 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 pig transformation being one of them, but then it also it's able to balance that out with some of the silliness, with the brownies, with right. Mad Mardigan rolling down the hill encased in snow, <laughs> um, you know, him yeah. falling over just because he's slipping on ice, like that kind of stuff. So it, it balances yeah. it out, I think, really well. But I think. I was surprised, given that I hadn't watched it in a few years, I was surprised with how much I liked the world building and the the cleverness of the writing in this for the era that it came out and the type of movie it was, which is very easy in an epic fantasy type setting to overdo your uh, exposition. Yeah. yeah. And you see it even in big budget stuff. Exposition gets overdone mm-hmm. and you don't need that. You don't need to hold the audience's hand. Just let them figure it out. Yeah. So, that's... It's like all the people that like cry that Tom Bombadil didn't make it into the Lord of the Rings. No, let Tom, no, that's too much. It's fine in a book, but it's too much. Yeah. <laughs> These yep. movies are already long enough. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Whatever you're putting in your movie, have it serve the purpose of the story being told. And if it's not moving the plot forward, if it's not moving the story forward, it probably needs to get cut, especially when you're adapting another form of media. Tom Bombadil is a fantastic character, and I love Tom Bombadil to death. Had no place in that movie and just brings everything grinding to a halt. So, Mm -hmm. yes. Um is this movie perfect? I don't think so. I think there's things you can expand on, but it's got me excited to watch the series, which I will yes. now be starting. And Excellent. and you have already started the series. There's what three episodes out now? 
three episodes are out right now. Okay. I'm gonna go watch those first two again now that I do understand where we're starting from. Would you would you suggest to people that have that are going to watch the series to watch the movie first, regardless? Like do you think it's worthwhile to sort of ramp yourself up for it? If you're if you're not like if you're just like, I just want to watch the show with the high budget and the beautiful production and sure. all all of the Disney money that you can shake a stick at, like, that's fine. I don't think you need to watch it, um, especially if you're like, maybe not in a headspace for two hours and 10 minutes of 1988 <laughs> magic. Like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I understand that. Um, but I mean, it's a cool starting point. And then. Because there's a there's a fairly decent leap in time between the end of the movie and the start of the start of the series. It's cool to see the kids, right? Yeah, because they're they're still in it, and they were so I'm, cute. I'm I'm glad they, they oh I'm glad they brought them back too. That's that's really yeah. cool. It sounds like they're doing a really good. They they did the the sequel series right, and that kind of legacy. Carryover. Dark Crystal did too. The Dark Crystal series is perfection. And there were a lot of people that wanted another series, like another season, mm-hmm. and that's fine, and I understand that. But that was a that was a prequel, and right. knowing what happens in between, I don't know that we really do want it. Like we can we can let all that happen off screen. That's fine. Yeah, sometimes it's better. Yeah, Little sometimes dark. it's better that way. Yeah. Um. Well, that's cool. It's good to know. I I I always wonder when you take a thing like. For instance, uh, an example would be Blade Runner 2049. I don't think you have to watch Blade Runner in order to watch that movie and get Mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff from it. But I think that it's it adds to it. I think that if you're already in that headspace and you kind of want more of that world, then yeah, you're going to get that. Or if you grew up as a fan of one and you go into watching the other, I think that it can help. But I like yeah. I do like when something like that, especially when 15, 20, 30 years have passed and you don't feel as though you have to watch this in order to understand what's going on at all. Exactly. And I th- that's how they've set this up. Like there's a few clips from the movie in mm. the beginning of the series. Okay. You know what I mean? And really, like as soon as you catch up on, oh, the girl, she's special. They're hiding her. Oh, no. Things are happening. Like... That's fine. Like you're caught up. Congratulations. <laughs> there you go. Moving on. Okay. Yep. I, I like that. Very, very cool. Well, Amy, thank you for being here this week. Well, thank you. Uh, I know it was My a pleasure. little bit on short notice, but I appreciate you uh, you being on. That's it's always what I'm here for. It's always fun to talk with you. And it's I love being an emergency podcast guest. It's also great because this is a very different movie from the last couple that we have talked about on this show. Yes. Which were sort yes. of the more kind of quirky indie films. Um, mm-hmm. This is very much like a big production, uh, you know, fantasy world. Um, so yeah. it's it's nice to vary it up too. Um, yeah. So definitely, thank you uh, for being here. You are currently between seasons of Aquilo, yes. We are. Uh, season six should be starting, and I say this with like giant air quotes around <laughs> it because who knows what could happen. Um, but it should be coming back. In March slash April. Season six. That'd be very exciting. Season six. That's crazy what? to think about. What? I know. Let me tell you. I shout out to everybody whose like number one Spotify podcast was Aquilo. 
given that we have so few episodes in a year, like, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, it's Especially because... going up against shows that are like weekly or more. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, but guys. You, you two have created something that, that, that has a, a great feel to it. And yeah. it's that combination. It's the combination of the words and the way that they're read and the and the life that gets put into them so it's great writing taken to another level by great performance and so it makes for a really interesting show so i I like that a lot um and i listen to it a lot myself um also you and i do a show together we sure do um with our uh friends steven and audie called those were the days and uh we are actually recording that again tomorrow night um, yes, we are. And that's all about classic TV. That's a fun one, too. If you like television, uh, classic TV, anything 20 years and older, basically, pre-2000, yeah. if you're old like us or you just like classics, uh, we talk about it uh, once a week. We we come up with different topics. Right now we're doing holiday episodes. Last week's was fun. The Perfect Strangers, that episode was That was very good. Amazing. We've had some real I winners. Make, I made a Christmas lettuce reference while watching Willow. When they started to throw lettuce at poor Willow and the baby <laughs> in the tavern. Oh, that's amazing. Um, what is our episode tomorrow? I forget. Uh, tomorrow is, hold on, I have this information. Okay. Because it's Steven's pick. And it is the Bob Newhart show. That's right. Bob has to have his tonsils out. So he spends Christmas Eve in the hospital, which is the title of the episode, <laughs> which is crazy. It's such a good title. The title it alone. It is a great title. Uh, so, yeah, that's going to so, be, yeah. we're, we're recording that tomorrow night. That'll be out probably, usually out on Tuesdays. Um, those were the days. You can find it at anchor.fm slash those were the days shows. If you want to hear more of Amy and I talking with a couple other friends, that's definitely a show to check oh, out. You can and we watch appreciate us live. It. You can tomorrow night at nine PM. Twitch.tv slash two dorks TV. That's true. And then Ake Willow will be back uh at some point in the next few months. Spring. Spring. Se- spring. That it's works. Spring. Season six. Awesome. Very, very cool. And if you haven't listened to Ake Willow yet, catch up on seasons one through five because it's totally worth it. I'll I'll and, and you can special. thank me later. Yes, and the specials. <laughs> so Yes. And Phil Root in the chat endorses all of these shows. That's right. Thanks, Phil. Thank you, Phil. Uh, so, yeah, that is uh, that is the show for this week. Willow. I'm so glad that you got to watch this. I am It's a fun too. one. Do you think it's one that you'll watch again anytime soon or maybe show to, like, friends or family at some point? Uh, maybe. Maybe? Maybe. If I, like, if I find other people who haven't seen it, like... Sure. But I think I'm, I'm more likely, because I'm, like, a, in a TV mindset, I'm more likely to just, like start the series over and over again fair enough fair enough yeah um next week is to be determined i am figuring that out uh and uh we're we're inching ever closer to episode 200 of this show uh, it's kind of kind of nuts to think so about that I'm, <laughs> that I'm coming up on 200 and i haven't taken a break yet either that's the thing is i've done 200 episodes in 200 weeks yeah um, i am a crazy person uh, but that is coming. Um, and next week, uh, well, keep an eye on Twitter. Twitter, um, I'm TV's Travis there. Uh, keep an eye there, and I will uh, let people know what we're watching and who the guest will be. Um, and then September McCready is coming back um, a couple of days after Christmas we'll be recording. Uh, we're going to be 
we're going to do that. So that, that'll be fun. Um, and you can find this show at tvstravis.com or search wait, you haven't seen dot, 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 and a question mark because I don't believe in SEO. <laughs> and that's just how I roll. Uh, and anywhere you get your podcast. And if you can leave a rating and review, those are always helpful. Um, you can also support the show. Uh, the show has a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash W-Y-H-S. Uh, and you can support the show for as little as $1 an episode. So that's, uh, I, and and if you do, I appreciate that. I do have one new patron this week. It is Claire Gack uh, nice. is a new patron. So a little shout out. You'll be getting a handwritten thank you note uh, sent all the way to Ireland. Because that's where uh, Claire is. So Very nice. that'll be fun, uh, definitely. But patreon.com forward slash W-Y-H-S. There's also um, Discord benefits. You can join my Discord, uh, the TV's Travis and Friends Discord through Patreon. And um, I will be working on exclusive content for the Patreon feeds as well as adding things to my uh, YouTube channel at some point. I, I still plan on doing that. It's just getting it done. It's a lot of work. Uh-huh. So that is, uh, that's what's happening there. So until next week and whatever damn movie I'm going to be watching, (laughs) Amy, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And remember to enjoy your movies and let's be excellent to each other. This has been Wait, You Haven't Seen. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>